0: Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right, well, welcome to grace i'm glad you're here today's sermon is going to be a little bit different than normal Um, if you want to pull out your bible or pull it out on your phone you're welcome to turn to mark 5 where we're going to be today and you're welcome to pull out your sermon notes from the bulletin as well but instead of going through the passage like we normally would in an environment like this um, i would like to tell you the story that we just read uh, from the perspective of someone who is in the story from jairus's perspective When we do sermons like this, it's in order to help you follow the emotion and the attention of the story. It still takes all the same amount of preparation and study on my part going in, but hopefully it'll help you feel what it might have felt like for someone who is experiencing it for the first time. So here's Jairus' story. Well, welcome. Welcome to synagogue. I'm glad you're here. You can help me pick up. Uh, When they asked me to be one of the rulers, they didn't say I'd have to stack so many chairs. So I appreciate the help. No, I mean, I'm glad to do it. I am. I'm very grateful for what God's done in my life and that I can serve here as a small joy in response. I didn't always feel that way. You know, a lot of times over the years, I did this in order to try to earn God's favor, make God happy with me so that he wouldn't do anything bad. I figured if I served him, he'd serve me, right? And for a while, that seemed to work. I remember when my wife was pregnant with our little Ellie And I thought, this is God's kindness. This is all the things I've done coming to fruition. God's paying me back. And she was such a sweet girl. I remember her first steps and her first words and her first little friendships. She was such an adorable child. She had so much energy and she was so full of life. I remember how she was growing up and she got to be nine and ten years old and she was becoming such a, a brilliant and beautiful young woman. But just like I remember her first steps and her first words, I remember the first time she coughed up blood. I remember the first time we called the doctor and called for the doctor to come, and he said, I don't know what's wrong with her, and I don't know how to help her. That began a a two-year health journey we went on with her. And each doctor that came had less answers than the one before. All we knew for sure was that Ellie was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. She was becoming more and more frail and the bouts and the and the bouts of blood coughing became more and more severe. Just like I remember how her sweet friendships were developing. I remember the first time her friends looked at her with horror and said I don't want to go near that girl. I remember how her body started to emaciate and the muscles began to deteriorate. I would have done anything to help my daughter. I did do anything I I could to help my daughter. I remember coming to synagogue in those weeks and months, and my prayers became so real and so deep and so angry with God. God, how could you do this to my daughter? And after everyone left, I would grab people on the way out and say, Do you know a doctor? Do you know anyone who can help my sweet Ellie? One day after everyone had left, Zachariah, my friend since we were boys, was hanging out in the back waiting for me. He came back in when no one else was here and he whispered, I know someone. It's Jesus of Nazareth, but you can't tell anyone. I said, well, why would it matter? He said, well, you know how Jesus has upset so many of the religious establishment. You know how so many people in our community have followed him And yet so many people are opposed to him. If you reach out to Jesus, it may be the end of your time serving as a religious leader in our community. What seemed to Zachariah like a core question to me was never in doubt. I would have run through a wall to help my daughter, and I was willing to. So I said, Zachariah, if you can find this Jesus, wherever he is, whatever he wants, I will run to him. it'll help my daughter to live. So Zachariah said, I'll keep an eye out, I'll keep an ear out, and if I find him, I'll let you know. A couple days went by, and word came that Jesus was returning back over the sea to our village. Ellie's condition had worsened severely. Her breathing had become faint. And we thought, if something doesn't change, she could die any day, any hour. I'd been there for her first breaths, her first words, and the last thing I would want to do was miss the last of them. I couldn't imagine not being there with her if she died. But as my wife shook me and said, you can't let an opportunity like this pass us by. You've got to find Jesus. You've got to bring him here. He's got to lay his hands on her and heal her if he can. So I picked up the robes and the stole they gave me when I had become a ruler of the synagogue and I put them on. And I thought, maybe I can impress Jesus. Maybe I can convince him or persuade him that I'm someone important and that he should come and heal my little girl. And then I I went and I took all the money I could find in our home and I poured it in a satchel and I hung it on my waist. And I said, if it's money he wants, I'll give him anything if he will just bring Ellie back to health and to life. And I started walking with Zachariah towards the shore. But I knew that the minutes were precious. And so the walks turned into a jog, which turned into a full run. And I saw Jesus, and the speech I had prepared came tumbling out of my mouth as soon as I saw him. I jumped and lunged at his feet, and I said, My daughter is dying. My daughter is dying. Would you come? Would you just, would you just touch her? You just lay your hands on her? If you would do that, she might live. Before I could lay out the case of, of why I'd earned this or why I deserve this or what I could do for him, Jesus agreed. And we started walking back towards my house. You know, we, we don't live far from the shore, about a mile. And I could see the smoke coming out of the chimney from our home. And I I don't know how to describe the feelings I had in that moment. It was a mixture of hope and joy that we had found this person who might be able to heal Ellie mixed with this severe sense of dread because I had been let down before. I'd been let down by doctors before. I'd been let down by my prayers before. I'd felt let down by God before. Would this really be different? I kept my eyes fixed on our home, just hoping that nothing would change, that no one would come out with any bad news, that no whalers would start mourning, that if we could just hold on for a few more minutes, I could drag Jesus with me to where Ellie was. And it felt like I was dragging him. In fact, it felt like a whole crowd was shoving us like a wave towards our house. There was a huge throng of people, hundreds of people pressed in on us, And I felt like Jesus and I were at the center of it, pushing forward, until it stopped. As the throng kept trying to push forward, Jesus sunk his feet like into the sand with the waves, and everyone came to a grinding halt with him. Jesus started shouting, and his disciples started shouting, and I couldn't understand what was happening, and to be honest, I didn't care what was happening. I just needed to get Jesus where Ellie was to heal her. But then I hear what Jesus says. Who has touched me? I felt power go out from me. I felt so angry and so scared in that moment. I felt angry because I felt like, who is the selfish fool who insists on being in front of my sweet Ellie? Who decided that this moment you were more important than she was? And I felt scared because of what Jesus said. He felt his power go out from him. It felt like water was slipping through my hands. I need you to have that power. I need it for her. And I don't know how long we stood there. Now we were, I don't know, a quarter mile from our house at this point. I could see it. I could see our home. I could see my front door. If we could just get there. But Jesus was resolute, and he kept standing in the same spot, insisting that whoever it was came forward. I wanted the person to come forward too because I wanted to smack him. I I, I wanted to know who was the person who was this selfish. And then I saw her. Now, I I don't want to sound uncaring because I know that's how this is going to come across. But when I saw who it was, when I saw this woman who had insisted at jumping and lunging at Jesus, when I needed him to go to my daughter, I wanted to spit on her. I thought, who do you think you are? I knew her story. And I, in hindsight, with hindsight, I can appreciate the desperation she was feeling. Twelve years of being unclean. Twelve years of giving up every social relationship, marriage, not being allowed to come into the synagogue. Twelve years of alienation must have been awful. The last 12 years of her life and my life couldn't seem more different in a lot of ways. While I had everything and every uh, honor and respect and authority in our community, she had none of it. But in that moment, as she flung herself at Jesus' feet, we were the same. We were two people who seemed to be grabbing for the one scarce resource, Jesus' power and authority. And she had clung to that jewel now and not me. I was mad. I was so mad at her. I thought that this was my last hope to save Ellie, and she had just stolen it from me. I was enraged. I was ready to yell at her, and I thought Jesus was going to do the same thing. Who did she think she was grabbing onto him when he had not invited it? But Jesus stoops down, touches the woman, looks her in the eye, and says, Daughter. 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 Your faith has made you well. Go in peace, for you are healed. That word daughter took my breath away. It was my daughter that I cared about. It's my daughter that I needed healed. And Jesus has found this desperate, helpless woman and called her daughter. She had no one to advocate for her. No one to put on robes on her behalf. No one to bring coins or to try to to gather resources. She was on her own. And Jesus had made her his daughter. So that he was responsible for and cared for her the way that I cared for sweet Ellie. Hindsight, now years later, I can see how amazing that is and what that tells me about God. But in the moment, I just thought it's either her or Ellie. One or the other. And I've just lost it's in that moment, as my eyes were still trained on our house, that I saw my brother Judah come through the door. People have been coming and going all day, so at first I didn't think anything of it, but I saw the look on Judah's face. We've known each other our whole lives, and I know my brother, and I knew that look. It was the look of an uncle who had just seen his niece die. It was the look of a brother who had to just go tell his brother that his daughter had died. And I hoped I was wrong. I hoped that I'd misread him. I I didn't want to look at him. But I could feel his relentless steps making the short journey to where we were. It felt like Judah was coming in on me. And he gets to me. He says, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? I don't know if you've ever had to tell someone that someone they love has died or been told that someone you loved has died. I wailed and screamed and fell to my knees. This robe that I was wearing that represented my authority and my position meant nothing to me. I got mud all over it and I didn't care. All I was was a father who had lost his only little girl. Judah slipped his arm under my shoulder and helped carry me back to our home. It was time for me to say goodbye. It was time for me to bury Ellie. It was time to give up what last hope I had that she'd be okay. It was time to comfort my wife that we've lost our little girl. How do you even begin to go about doing those things? But then Jesus whirled around. And looked at me straight in the eye. To be honest, I thought he had forgotten all about me. And he looked at me and he said, don't fear, only believe. Sorry if I laugh. The idea that I have something left to fear was hilarious to me. The thing I fear most in the world just happened, Jesus. The thing I fear most is that my daughter would die. You tell me not to fear? What worse thing can happen to me than that? I'd like to think I held on to some manner of faith in that moment, or maybe it was Judah's faith, or maybe it was Jesus' kindness, but we start pushing our way this last quarter mile back to our house. and What seemed like an impossible trek before now feels like we're walking on air. It's a blur of grief and loss and pain until we get to the front door. And those wailers that I had been so afraid of, those public mourners who were crying out, announcing to the community that our daughter is dead, are in front of blocking the way to seeing my little girl. I get why our family hired them. I get their role in grief. I get why it's important that they have a, an announcing role, a public role in grief. But at, the, at that time, I just want to shove them out of the way. And then Jesus speaks to them, and he said, Don't cry, for she's only sleeping. She hasn't died. And then they start laughing sort of laughter, the knowing laughter that we have sometimes when we know something the other person doesn't know. I mean, after all, they're around death every day. They say, no, she's dead. She's really dead. Each word like a knife to my soul. So we go upstairs to see the body. And I don't know if you've ever been in the room with someone you love who's died because it's, it's like they're there, but they're not there. I mean, that's her clothes, that's her face, that's her hair, that's her bed, that's, that's her. But the moment I walk in the room, I know that she's not there, that she's died. My wife goes to her bedside and starts wiping the hair out of her eyes, as if Ellie can still feel the hair in her eyes. And I go to her other side and I pick up her emaciated hand just skin and bones, after the sickness has taken its toll on her. I can feel how little muscle and fat is there. I can just feel the bones through her knuckles. And her hand feels oddly heavy because there's no life in it. It's just cold. And I cry again. My cries get all over her cheeks. And Jesus takes her hand from me. And with a word, brings about more than all the doctors in our whole community could ever do. With just a word, with just a, with just a speak of his mouth. He says, little girl, I say, arise. And Aramaic, talitha And she does. I, I feel awkward telling you this story. Because I feel like people aren't going to believe me. Look, I, I know that this doesn't happen, right? Like dead people don't come back to life. No matter how much we plead and beg, I've been there when my cousin died. I've been there when my parents died. I've been there in the years since Ellie died with people. Where we've cried out to God and nothing different has happened. I get, I get that death is final. But I can say I was in that room and it wasn't final that day because I see her cheeks start to have color again. I see her eyes start to flutter again. And the only thing I want in all the world is this to be real. And because that, I don't trust it. I think, this can't be happening. I want this too much. This can't be happening. And she sits up. She hasn't sat up in days. She stands up. She hasn't stood up out of her bed in weeks. She eats. She eats a real meal. She hasn't done that in I don't know how long. And she laughs. She laughed. How do you say thank you to someone who just saved your daughter and brought her back to life when no one else could? In that moment, I realized something. On that day, I realized something that I don't know that I could have learned any other way. Because, you know, going into that day, I thought, Jesus helped people like me because we deserved it. And Jesus ignored people like that woman on the street because they didn't. It was either me or her, us against them. But on that day, you know what I saw Jesus do? He cared for us and her. Not because I deserved it and she didn't, or she deserved it and I didn't, but that his hands were wide enough to save all of us. And that in his kindness and his graciousness, he called that woman daughter, and he cared for my daughter at the same time. In the days and weeks and months that went by, we followed Jesus from afar. As Ellie became a vital young girl again, we tracked whatever news we could about this Messiah ultimately leading to the day that we heard that he was rejected, crucified, and killed in Jerusalem. That was a tough day. When we heard that news, I thought of his mother. I wondered if she held him after he died the way I'd held Ellie. I wondered if her tears had gone over his cheeks too, if she had wiped away the hair from his eyes and felt the coldness of his dead body. I wondered what it would have been like for her to grieve over her dead son the way I grieved over my dead daughter. But then we heard three days later that there was the best news. That just as Ellie had returned to life, Jesus had returned to life. Just as I had seen my Ellie come back from death, Jesus had come back from death. And because just as Ellie's uh, resuscitation had showed the goodness of God, Jesus' resurrection was the hope for all of us who would believe in him. One day I'm going to die. One day Ellie's going to die. One day you're going to die. And the hope that, can, that is possible for all of us is that because of Jesus' resurrection, that we can have hope of eternal life. That's what I would like for you, and what I hope for you, and what I pray for you. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are grateful that you have given us eternal life because of your death, burial, and resurrection. God, we believe in you. We are grateful for you and we follow you. In your name we pray, amen.